0: are with us today. We have some incredible guests. Melissa and I are really thrilled and honored to have Kier and Katie with us from Baltimore City Public Schools. And we'd love for them to just share a little bit about themselves, what they teach, where they're teaching, and anything else interesting that they would like to share with us as we dive into their stories about how they launched Witten Wisdom this past school year. So year one implementation in Baltimore City. For this podcast. So, Kier, would you mind jumping in?
2: Yeah, sure thing. Uh, hey, 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 everybody. i um, super excited to be here. So, thank you very much. Um, Melissa and Lori, I think that this is a real, I don't know, pleasure and a real treat. So, I thank you both and uh, everyone else uh, listening. Uh, again, my name is Kier. Kids call me Mr. K, and I teach at Waverly Elementary uh, here in Baltimore City. I teach sixth-grade literacy And language arts. Uh, This is our first year of implementation with and Wisdom, so that is over and it's pretty kind of uh, cool to look at the data and the results of what the kids have been able to do this year. So I've been posting a lot on Twitter and other social media just sort of bragging about how awesome my kids are and how great their student work is. Um, and, And it's been a really fruitful year. I would say that I'm excited about where the district is going and where Waverly is going. Um, and I'm really excited to improve. Um, I actually just finished uh, my sixth year of teaching here in Baltimore City, and uh, I feel like uh, we are getting better in the uh, so am mind. So, thanks for having me. I love that. Thank you. Thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you for being here. We know you have a really busy day ahead, even though it's summer. So,
3: thank you. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Katie, tell us about you. Hi, I'm Katie Scotty. Um, I teach fourth grade ELA and social studies at Thomas Johnson Elementary and Middle and this is going to be, I'm going into my 14th year of teaching in Baltimore City, which is really hard to believe. Um, like here, this is, uh, last year was year one of implementing Wit and Wisdom. And I'm looking forward to year two, just because year one felt a little, just, and we'll talk about it more, but it was, it was definitely a challenge. Um, it was a growth year for me, and I'm excited to take off and running with year two. Um, Again, I've been teaching for 14 years. Um, I did some early childhood. Um, I've done a lot of work in special education, and I was also an instructional coach for a few years. Um, I'm happy to be back in the classroom and to be implementing this curriculum. And thank you so much for having us talk about this, because I think it's really important to spread um, what works, what doesn't work, and some of our success stories with other people in the district and beyond. So thank you. (laughs)
1: Yeah, thank you. We're so excited to have both of you. So my first question for you all is you're both experienced teachers. And at the beginning of last year, right around this time, you just learned that you're going to be starting this new curriculum. So I'm just wondering like what your initial reactions were when you heard about Wit and Wisdom, when you first looked at it, maybe the first professional development, just what all around, like before you even taught it, what, what were you guys thinking?
3: Um, so I can start with me just being, um, I, I the first thing I thought was I was really excited to have texts and I saw the texts at, they came to, and mm-hmm. Wisdom came to the a CLN meeting mm-hmm. and brought texts with them. And I was excited to have authentic texts that, and I was excited that reading and writing were integrated. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I looked through the manual, I was like, man, this is really deep. There's a lot in each lesson. And I was pretty unsure about how it was going to be differentiated. I thought it looked like a pretty good curriculum for my gal students, but was unsure of how it would work for my, um, lower students. I didn't think I would be able to differentiate well enough for them and that I was going to have to customize lessons or Mm -hmm. make up my own lessons for my low students. Um, and I also was concerned about guided reading. I was um, pretty adamant that I still needed to make time for guided reading every day, and I didn't know where I was going to be able to fit those in the lessons. So those were my initial thoughts. All right, Katie, I have so many questions based on what you just said.
0: And <laughs> I, I want to thank you because I think that, ev- I mean, I feel like every single thing that you said is something that is just racing through teachers' minds who are in um, K-5 and just have that concern about guided reading who have that concern about what about my students who are not reading at on grade level? How am I going to change this or customize it? Um, we hear it all. I hear it all day. I'm sure Melissa hears it too. Um, could you, can you tell us about a little bit more about how, um, when you said makeup or customize lessons, um, how did did you end up doing that and um just tell us a little bit more about that
3: i did not end up doing that in terms of the m- meat of the wit and wisdom lessons i would have to just do more of figuring out what scaffolds to put in place in terms of pacing um and what is available in the lessons you really don't need to make it up anything on your own and when i'm talking to teachers about this in when we do our fellowship. That really, to me, is the beauty of the program, that it's integrated instruction and everything is really there for you. The planning then, and what w- I had to understand was that the planning is more about how I'm, how I'm going to scaffold each lesson to meet the need of every learner. Yeah. So differentiation is in place, and I did not have to make up anything on my own. I will say the only thing that I had to do a little bit differently since I teach fourth grade... Um so for my um students who were still not decoding um and still had some phonics skills, I did in the small group time, I did supplement words their way. Um just in small group time to help them with their word with their word reading and phonics. And that was um, that's outside of the 90-minute wit and wisdom that block. That is outside of the 90-minute wit and wisdom block. And mm-hmm. in the 90-minute wit and wisdom block, those students who were um, below grade level in reading did not have different texts. They ha- had all had access to the same text that all my students did, and I think that was very important in this and mm-hmm. um, making them feel like they had access to the same knowledge that all the other students in my class did. Um, they just needed different supports in order to gain that access to the text. Great. Thank you for elaborating,
0: and I what I I, I want to continue to talk about that scaffold piece, but I have a feeling that Kier is going to say um, some things about that as well. So I'm hoping that maybe he can share his story, and then we can blend that together as a, a conversation after we hear from him. Is that okay? Yeah, perfect. Cool, Kier, you're on.
2: Yeah, um, my initial reaction was honestly one of skepti- of skepticism. Right, I, mm-hmm. I've been pretty. Open um, in talking about my initial hesitance uh, or hesitancy, rather, about wit and wisdom. I, you know, again, if we're going to engage in some vulnerable conversation and some honest, sort of real talk, if you will, I was really concerned about what wit and wisdom meant for my black students. So I teach at Waverly, we're a Title One school. Uh, a majority of the kids that I teach um, are are black students, and I recall going to the wit and Wisdom website and, you know, looking at some videos, um, you know, sort of reading the blogs. And I, I just don't recall uh, uh, an, an urban district like Baltimore being talked about. I don't remember seeing a lot of videos with majority black classrooms. I don't recall, you know, research where a majority of the students were performing below grade level, and in some cases, well below grade level. So my initial skepticism was, while the city school's curriculum wasn't, you know, all that good, it, it, for some reason, it, it was a little more palatable, if you will, or digestible in terms of scaffolds, um, ways to, to to customize and make it more appropriate. Um, so there was some, honestly, resistance I did engage in some really good professional development. Um, her name is Rachel Rooney, and she actually ended up curating the uh, text sets and the book lists for Wit and Wisdom, and she's got a pretty senior position with great minds. Um so what I realized now is really great professional development with a facilitator who cares deeply for the participants in the room and believes in the program can do a lot to help change your mindset. And I realized that while I was well within my right to have those thoughts because they're mine Mm -hmm. and, you know, what I have to say matters because I matter, that it was I I needed to give the program a chance. So I had to check myself and I had a moment of sort of a come to Jesus moment that some of us have in our lives, usually not with curriculum, but that's what I had mine with. (laughs) And my come to Jesus moment was really this. And it was twofold, right? It was Kier either you don't believe in your students or you don't believe in yourself. And the reason I say that is because, you know, the more that I studied wit and wisdom, the more that I realized it was about building equity. And I'm thinking here, that's how you sort of built your entire teaching career is you teach for equity, leveling the playing Mm -hmm. field, giving black kids an opportunity. So if you're saying that they can't do this rigorous curriculum or this program, what are you saying about your kids? It, you know, you, Say are very important to you, which they are. Or there's this sort of second hand where it's like, am I just unwilling or am I unable? And I I refuse to believe that I'm unwilling because I like learning, I like digging deep, and I want to get better always. Like I I've, I've not peaked, I've not reached my best yet. I still want to get better. And then there's the so then are you just unable? And that's where professional development comes in where it takes a really good facilitator as well as a shift in mindset right like when wisdom to me is not a have to it is a get to we get to implement a an, an equity based curriculum i know people talk about how it's a knowledge building curriculum and it's you know content culturally all of that is true but as you know dr Santeliza says how can we can't do both and it is knowledge building it is content rich culturally relevant uh, you know text it is that And it's also an equity building curriculum because it goes so deep with knowledge building and leveling the playing field. So I learned all of that after I had to check myself, you know, change my mindset and engage in some professional development with a facilitator who was absolutely amazing. And that really started to chip away at that initial um, hesitancy. And then the last thing I'll say is when you start seeing what your kids can do as opposed to sort of, you know, wallowing, if you will, sort of in the shallows of what they can't do or what their perceived deficits are, you will be wildly amazed, and I would even say humbled uh, that you even were initially resistant because they, took their curriculum uh, and my kids did so well with it and the products of their labor are kind of amazing and breathtaking, honestly, if I can brag on them a little bit.
1: <laughs> you certainly can. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And can I just say too, I mean, sometimes I like, Lori and I both stalk you on, on Twitter. <laughs> we, we see everything you guys post all the time. So many great things that you are doing with your kids and that your kids are doing. Um, so I'm just really thankful that you guys are able to be honest about the initial reactions, because I think sometimes when people see teachers who have all this success, it's like, well, you know, they, they were on board from the beginning. They, they, what, you know, kind of brush it off a little bit. Mm -hmm. If they have, they might not know that you have these same first reactions. So it's really nice to hear that, you know, you had those same hesitancies and skepticism at the beginning. Um, just so people know yeah. that it's real, it is real. Um, I'm wondering if either of you have any stories or can remember maybe that the first moment when you saw your students kind of doing when you you said like doing something that you maybe thought that they couldn't do or wouldn't be able to do. Um, do you have any recollections of that over the course of this first year?
2: Yeah, um, I've got one that actually was pretty quick. It was uh, out of module zero. So a couple of things happened, right? <laughs> wow. um, yeah, I mean, right off the bat. Um, but what I found really interesting was like I became far I, I don't know, more learned, if you will, um, and culture, thanks to wit and Wisdom, because uh, they, w- the, first of all, the program or the curriculum uses art as a visual text, so it's another means of exposing uh, students to rich, relevant text. Uh, in module zero, there uh, is a uh, piece of artwork, I believe it's the Sleeping Gypsy, uh, for mm-hmm. uh, grade six to eight, and I kind of thought to myself, <laughs> I mean, how exactly is a piece of art going to help build knowledge, you know, for kids who aren't really exposed to art? You know I mean? It's sort of like all of these cliches about those kids, this, these kids that, and then art. Right. And I'm, again, I'm having to check myself and I'm kind of like a little trepidatious, but here we go (laughs) and we start analyzing this art and I'm like, wait a second, I can teach so many skills through looking at this piece of art. First of all, when Katie's talking about how do I scaffold for my lowest students, uh, like just being blunt, if your eyes work and your brain is interested in the art, then you have access to it. So first of all, it is a gypsy who's sleeping with a lion that's like coming up to her. And my kids were just instantly captivated. A really (laughs) amazing color palette. And I give all of this background to sort of, no pun intended, paint a picture of how, <laughs> I know I'm an ELA teacher, so I got a lot more, uh, but just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a stroke of genius, if you will. Um, and I don't want you to brush that aside and I will stop there at three because that's too many, but, but <laughs> the kids were really excited about, deepening their understanding of art and color and whether or not it was night or day based on a literal understanding of what was going on. So that's the organized stage. What's happening? And I didn't think that I could spend as much time on a piece of art asking a very simple question, what is happening in this visual text? And mm-hmm. we spent so much time on it. And then I'm able to go back and we set up a class debate you know, are you team morning or are you team nighttime? And we had kids go up (laughs) to the board and pointing and using text evidence, right. By pointing at, uh, Oh, well, I can see the shadow. And when you start realizing that they were inadvertently using art terms, you're just like, you know what? I'm going to go sit down somewhere because they are (laughs) totally rocking and killing this. And I did not think that we could. So let me put myself in timeout and I'll see you guys in five minutes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know what? That reminds me of something, Katie, I, I think that Liz Manolis quoted you. Um, and I don't know that you no. know that she quoted you. Um, <laughs> I do not. In, in, a, in, in like a meeting. And she said like, Katie Scottie said, you just have to put it in front of them and get out of their way. And I don't know if you remember saying that, but I, that's exactly what Kier is talking about, right? Like getting out of their way, letting them do the hard work and, and struggle through it. And they're, they're coming out on the other side with these incredible... You know, analyzations and interpretations and, um, any, you know, things that we wouldn't have expected. So, K- Katie, would you mind sharing, um, anything that you want to add on to what Ki- uh, Kier said? And Kier, thank you. That was, I love that. That was like an incredible story from the from module zero. Which yeah. Is like, what, like
3: the first, first week? week. That's the first
0: week.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Then, first week. So, first of all, that's, I love that Liz said that. That's awesome. Um, And that was actually probably one of the hardest things I had to learn how to do is how to move away from them and let them do the work. Um, But just to connect to care real quick, I did a launch last week and I told the participants that when I first knew that there was artwork in this curriculum, I was like, "Okay, I don't have time for that. I'll I'll (laughs) I'll give that to the art teacher. I'll let (laughs) her look at the artwork with the kids and she can do that. Um, But similar to care. I just want to just point out that when the kids do this artwork, it's like they're the most silent they ever are. When they're staring (laughs) at that screen and Mm -hmm. artwork, they're so into Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, That was one of my first things as well, just like the engagement in the art. Mm. But the second thing for me was uh, fourth grade module one is a great heart. And they discuss the difference between a figurative great heart and a little literal great heart. And they start with a text called a circulatory story which is all about how the human heart works. And it is a dense text. It is (laughs) deep. There's a ton of really um, difficult academic vocabulary words in that text. And when I looked at that text, it was like, okay, how am I going to break this down for them? Um, But what happened was we were discussing the literal great heart and they were having a discussion about how the heart worked. And then we moved on to the figurative great heart and talking about love and compassion and what it means to have that heart and what are the characteristics of a person with a great heart and it was like the end of the day one day and one of my kids said god this day was so long this was it's probably the worst day of school ever and another kid looked at him and said that's definitely figurative language and probably, like that's it's not the worst day of your life come on that's a hyperbole and like <laughs> they just, were, and they kind of went back and forth with like talking about what it, what the difference between literal and figurative language was, and the connections that they were making to the text in that conversation. I was like, wow, my kids know this stuff, mm-hmm. and they're talking about it outside yeah. of an academic conversation. Um, and then from then on, I will just say what I what sold me on the curriculum and what I think made my kids buy in, and I'll talk about this uh, over and over again, is the level of engagement in text. And so when in that, um, in that module, when we read Love That Dog, I mean, my students were crying, like oh. literally crying oh. when things happened in that text. And they were so into it and every day, them being like, I cannot wait to see what happens next. Yeah. So just starting off with, yes, I'm seeing them make connections like with literal and figurative language. I'm hearing them talk about the text outside of class. And then I'm every day them coming in and not being able to wait to see what happens next in the text. That's when I was like, I feel like my students are successful. Not because I at that point, I was still wasn't sure about like the academic growth and what their writing was going to look like. But at that point, I was like, okay, they're invested in Yeah. And their mindset is that they want to come to school every day and they want to learn. So I was like, if I have them, if I've hooked them, then academically, I know that they're going to be able to make gains because their mindset is right. Yeah. So that's when I was like, okay, this is going to be able to work.
1: Katie, would you say that was even your struggling readers had that same reaction?
3: Yeah. And that's what's really cool. Um, Just a side note. Every module I had a um, like celebration at the end of the module where kids would like showcase their work from each module and parents and would come in. And one of the things after module one that my principal said to me that was really eye-opening was he said, Katie, I went around and I, I went to some of my your students that I knew were your struggling readers just because I want to make sure that they got um, the attention and recognition that they deserve. And he said, "I can't believe." He said, "I didn't. I, if, I, if, it weren't, if I weren't the principal, I wouldn't have known who was your struggling reader and who wasn't because they were all talking about and just as passionate as the other kids about the knowledge that they gained in this module. Um, so I would say, yes, all of my students were really excited about the text and the topics and were all participating in these discussions where oftentimes in the hallway, I'd be like, you need to be quiet. And I would come up to them and they were talking about, love that dog.
2: Aww.
3: So I would say, yes, that's for all of my students.
2: Yeah.
0: I think that you, you both highlighted some really important things. I mean, just as you were talking, as you both were speaking, I was jotting down notes. And, you know, I think one of the things that you both noted is that you took this learner mindset and were willing to grab all of the information that you could in order to execute this with equity for your students. Um, but I also jotted down that you had this self-awareness, right? So you knew to check yourself, you knew to, to look at your students and to see, like, observe them and to see what they were learning. And I think that that really helped you both to build buy-in and tell me, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just making inferences from what you were saying as you were speaking. Um, and I think that you, you both very clearly have this inherent belief that students can do, right? Like, students can do what we put in front of them um so I just thought that was so powerful and I just want to make a quick connection to uh the TNTP findings from the opportunity myth um
2: those
0: those four key points because I think that you you both really exemplify those right that you you believe students learn best when they experience these four things so great appropriate assignments deep engagement High expectations and strong instruction requiring students to do the work. So requiring them to do the thinking for them to do the work. And you know, I think what you're highlighting is the the outcome of that is where you're both standing today. So I mean, just thank you. And Kier, I loved hearing you talk as you were as you were sharing that about the um, the unpacking of module zero. I was like, he is such an old soul. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was great. And and Katie, thank you for your aha moments in like drawing yourself to the students. So I just I was making notes about how we could just, you know, recap this for for folks who are listening, who are heading into their first year and teachers who are heading into their first year and they're thinking, I'm not sure. And I thank you for your for your deep honesty on this topic, because I think it's so important. Like Melissa said, we have to talk about this in order to move forward. Mm
2: -hmm. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome.
1: Katie, I was wondering, you mentioned, and and this goes for Kier as well, but um, Katie mentioned about the, you weren't sure if um, you would end up seeing any results in writing specifically Mm -hmm. you brought up. Mm. I'm just wondering if you guys did see over the course of the year, did you see improvement in your students'
3: writing? Yeah, so that was definitely one of my areas that as a teacher, honestly, writing has always been the thing that I struggled the most with teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just struggled, especially, and I'll, I'll tell this story. I tell this story over and over again about one of my students who really, what she said really exemplifies the writing instruction and wisdom. But I had a student at the beginning of the year in a circle when we were talking about our strengths and our growth areas who said, all right, I I can, I'm a better reader. I got better at reading in third grade, but please just don't make me write a lot. Like I don't want to write. I'm not, I'm not a writer. She just looked at me and said, mm-hmm. I'm not a writer. And I was like, in, in my head, again, I was just like, I really don't know if this curriculum is going to teach her, if it's going to, if she's going to feel the success. And I really so badly wanted her to identify um, as a writer. Um, and then again, fast forward to, I think it was like module two, she was doing a focusing question task and I saw her with her book in one hand and a pencil in the other. And she was just started on her own. She just started writing and, um, I went up to her and checked in and I said, looks like you're off to a good start. And she just looked at me and shrugged literally and said, uh, turns out writing isn't that hard. You just have to know what you're writing about. Mm-hmm. And so I think <laughs> more than, anything, more That's than anything. That's an incredible like aha for a fourth grader. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And it, it said to me, okay, she has the same knowledge as everyone else in this class. And if not, and, and even in module one, like she may have not been doing a deep analysis, right? She, I don't know her level of analyzing the text or synthesizing information, but she at that point was at least able to summarize the knowledge that she had gained in that module. And she had felt like she, she felt like an expert on the topic and she was an expert on the topic. And I think that's where I saw the most growth in the writing. And again, I'll speak a lot to the mindset, but her confidence was that much greater. Um, by the end of module one that she then was identifying as a writer and not worrying about, can I write? She, she wasn't, her styles and conventions, maybe they weren't the best yet either. Her spelling probably wasn't the best, but she didn't have any hesitancy in putting that pencil to the paper and just going. And that's where I saw the most growth, their ideas getting out on paper and their ability to express knowledge through writing.
1: yeah, thank you so much, Katie. That was um, amazing. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, a huge testament to that idea of building knowledge in a curriculum, um yeah, sometimes can feel like just a disconnected term, like, oh, it builds knowledge. But when you think about it just like that, right? that even your, your fourth grader realized, yeah, and I right
3: about I think too, and Kira will talk a lot about this is is just giving it time. So in the beginning, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And I kept thinking, I don't know if this is going to work. But just just being patient, I I kind of am like right away. I want results. That's my personality. Um, But just giving them that time and you really do see over time their growth and it doesn't it's not going to happen right away. And that's what I try to tell teachers a lot. You're not going to see it immediately, but over time you're going to see their confidence grow and you will see that academically as well in the end.
1: Right, yeah, you might see sparks at the beginning. Right, Pierre like <laughs> right. did in Module Zero.
3: Yes. But-
1: <laughs> But yeah, it takes time for the, the real results to happen. Yeah. How about you, Kier? Did you?
2: Yeah, well, so writing is definitely one of those areas where I really enjoy writing and enjoy teaching writing, but know that I feel like I'm a far better like reading teacher or a literacy teacher than I am yeah. uh, writing. What I, I did appreciate, like Katie was saying about wit and wisdom, however, is that it's integrated, so it's not like stop, drop and write, you know, sort of thing Mm -hmm. um, that there's that it's integrated in in, in, and it's seamless. So what I found was that when we're able to know a lot about a topic, when we're able to speak on a topic, students are then able to write about the topic. So the the idea that we spend a lot of time building the background knowledge and building content knowledge, because something stuck with me at a PD once um, and it was on a good PD and the facilitator kind of offended me because she was saying, well, you know, some of these kids, you know, in 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 Baltimore, well, you just know that they're never going to do X, Y, or Z. And it was a really offensive comment because I was like, well, I, I just don't know how anyone would ever know that. I, I didn't know that you were uh, sort of this uh, omniscient character <laughs> sent here to teach me uh, your 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 ways. And the reason why yeah. you read me the wrong way is because there was this, our kids can't. And here's my thing. Even if some of our students may not, and I don't want to say that they will, but even if they may not have this opportunity, the curriculum gives them the opportunity. So there's so much background building and knowledge building that you're able to confidently, like Katie said, write about the topic, right? So now we've leveled the playing field as far as experience. So when we're talking about resiliency in the Great Depression or the hero's journey and how that applies to different film or media. You might not have seen all the movies out there that kind of follow this cliche like hero's journey trope, but the curriculum will help you understand that journey. Um, so I saw pretty clear results. I mean, one, uh, like my sort of like teacher anecdote is I've got a student, um, you know, and, and she had an IEP and, and her mother tells me, she said, you know, and, and I'll just call her, M, you know, but she said, you know, Mr. K M has a mild case of cerebral palsy, you know, and last year, you know, I would have to do some of the writing for her. And she would just tell me her ideas and I would literally just put on the paper, whatever M told me to put. And we had our first focusing question task um, that was only honestly supposed to be a paragraph at best, maybe half a page for some of my kids. You know, nothing more than that is honestly the expectation. Em wrote three pages front and back and wanted to take the assignment home Mm -hmm. overnight. She did all of the writing herself, and her mom just kind of came to me in tears, you know, because she's like, I've never seen Em want to write this much. I've never seen her feel this confident to do the writing herself and stories like that to me, prove that if you, if there's a will, then there's a way, right? Like it just finds a way to get done. So I, I'm excited that, you know, teachers like Katie and myself, have been able to sort of harness this excitement and leverage it with honestly, the idea that kids want to learn, they want to be great. And we know that if we can put those two together, plus the idea that we know and expect that you can be great from the teacher side of things, they're going to do pretty amazing things. You just got to give them the space and a little bit of, uh, you know, belief goes a long way. Um, And I've just really enjoyed hearing those stories and seeing those stories. So thank you, Katie, for a highlighting that student and just shout out to him because that's kind of a lot of struggle that she's had to go through for in in her life to get to this point as a pretty strong writer.
0: Yeah. Do you think that you would be able to highlight in just both of your opinions why this integrated approach works in the curriculum. I mean, I know there's so much research on it, but just from your perspective in being involved in it, teaching it every day, maybe just also share a recap of um, what an integrated approach is and also just share like why it works for you as teachers in fourth grade and sixth grade implementing this curriculum. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: okay, I can start with that in just... I really think that, first of all, the integrated approach is where everything is connected, right? The reading is connected to the writing. Anything that is grammar-related is um, connected to the topic that they're learning about. Um, The vocabulary word comes right from the text. Everything centers around that text, right? Yep. So in the past, um, in an isolated approach, students were doing like isolated grammar worksheets or they were write, doing a writing prompt that didn't have to do with the text at all. So that would speak to my students saying, I never knew what to write about. Mm-hmm. They were doing a prompt that was isolated without that background knowledge. Yep. And in, Katie, not to interject, but in previous
0: podcasts, Melissa and I have talked about how we are very embarrassed that as teachers um, back in the day, what Melissa like. 15 years ago, we had students do (laughs) an adverb (laughs) worksheet, right? Isolation. And they knew like, all I have to do is find the word and then add these letters and be done with it. (laughs) And it was not helpful or
3: connected. Yeah. And I think, well, well, on that real quick, one thing that I do tell people though, all the time is just the importance of sharing this research, because I think when teachers do that and still use the isolated approach, Teachers are not doing that out of ill intent. Teachers are doing that because that is what they think is a best practice. And we have all implemented practices in the past that we thought were the best for our students. Yeah. So just the importance of sharing the most current research and talking about it and highlighting where it works and why it works. Um, Yeah. We will share it in the notes for this podcast as well. Okay. (laughs) Um, So just the, to me, I feel like my students buy into the integrated approach because they see the purpose. It's not like Mm -hmm. they don't come in like, it's not like, what are we doing today? Um, Or they see the purpose in what they're doing. And I think that motivates them. If I go to a PD and I know what we're doing and why we're doing it and what we're going to get out of it, I'm more invested. So when students come to class and they know that they're going to be um, reading certain chapters and responding to those chapters and having a discussion or a debate, everything is centered around the same thing. And they, I don't, I just feel like understanding the purpose, um, gives them more motivation. Yeah. Sense. Yeah, absolutely. And then they're then able to make those connections too. With each other, with the text, um, to the world, they're making connect. They're making a lot of connections, and um, I think enhances their motivation.
0: Yeah, and they're making connections that are grounded in text evidence, which makes them really strong connections versus you know. Back in the day when I taught second grade, and they'd be like, I'd like to make a personal connection. And then they went on a tangential story that I wasn't sure what we were talking <laughs> Correct. about. Correct. Yes. You know, and you're trying to figure out how to pull the rope back in to mm-hmm. get them back in the conversation without hurting anybody's feelings. Um,
2: <laughs> That's right.
3: <laughs> I also, just one more thing. I, I yeah. just really think they're more invested because they feel like they are the ones with the knowledge. It's not like I'm standing there. I'm there and they're sitting there with a notebook, and I'm giving them all the information. Mm-hmm. They're more invested because they're more of the leaders in the classroom. Yeah. They're taking on the ownership, which makes them feel like it's not as boring because they're doing it on their own. Um, they're they're really the ones doing the heavy lifting. Yes, and they they have the power.
0: You know, like right? You've, you've transferred. You've given them the information. Gotten out of their way and transfer the power to them to have that productive struggle to learn. Yes. Awesome. Here, anything you want to add about the uh, integrated approach or? Well,
2: I mean, jobs? it's, yeah, so it, it, it's certainly nice, you know, where I at least remember when I was in school, right, where you had your reading teacher, you had a language okay. artist teacher, and it was, you know, separate, right? The, it was almost like these skills exist in isolation. And there, there was sort of no way to bring them together. And what I really appreciated as a teacher is, um, in general, I just happen to like things that make sense. I'm like, oh, okay, well, it's pretty linear. It's logical. It makes sense to me. So, you know, if we're if there's some really difficult words, or as Katie was saying, right, uh, for the uh, circulatory system, there's a lot of, you know, what we'd call, white, right, tier three academic vocabulary that sort of decontextualize can be really tough for for students. But then you realize, if I can put this word in context we can practice myriad skills now, context clues, inferencing, uh, you know, you can even go back to, you know, word roots, but you're building it all in the context of the story, which they already feel confident with because so much knowledge has been built further. Again, you've got, equity being built in the classroom, you know, because I feel like maybe depending on the demographics of the school, maybe somebody's parent is a doctor. So they've got more exposure to maybe some of these words or the, that type of book. But when everyone is getting sort of the same text and a lot of the same learning, as far as the, the skills that are being taught, students just feel really comfortable that I, that there's no expectation that I needed to come to you with mm-hmm. something, because I feel, yep. I feel that it's also lost that You know, as teachers, we can complain or we've heard complaints where it's like, I need this, I need this. Well, look, we signed up for a job willingly, or at least I did, and and it's our job, regardless of resources, to teach students where they're at. And this curriculum provides a lot of the resources and the stuff for us. So my thing is, if we believe the research that knowledge building is important for students and that the research is true and that we believe it, then a lot of teachers are like, oh, that makes sense. I, I'm totally on board with wit and wisdom. The disconnect then is, but you then also need to be integrated in your belief that you as the teacher also need to, you know, put your head down and sort of put on the elbow grease and, and do the hard work of immersing yourself in understanding the curriculum. When you do that, you are then, wait for it, knowledge building yourself. You're <laughs> going to feel way more confident, you know. So, I can't underscore KB's point enough, though, about like what the research says. My thing about the teaching profession is, you know, I think that we need to sort of carry ourselves like doctors, doctors and other sort of, uh, you know, professionals where the prestige is still there. I feel like some of the prestige is rubbed off uh, on teaching a little bit and it's not where it, it used to be or maybe in my mind it should be. But doctors go to conferences and they're getting up to date medical information, right? I mean, if you are out of step by you know a year or five years or whatever, you are old school. You th- this is past knowledge, and you're not going to be current to be a doctor anymore. And that same mindset has to be applied, like Katie said, when the newest research comes out. We have to make it a point to understand what the research says, but also why that new research is important. Like, I don't think anybody's going to fault a teacher, uh, like you were saying, right? That. This is how it was done 15 years ago. But now that we've got new current research that says knowledge building and equity is good in the classroom and these are the results, more teachers need to understand that research so that we can keep current with the practices. That's what other professionals do. We have to do the same thing. Yes, absolutely. There's a bit of a rant, and I'm sorry. No. But...
1: <laughs> and a good one. I actually just saw meme. I was trying to find it while you were talking, but I can't find it. <laughs> Uh There's some kind of meme that said something very similar. You know, would we still go to a doctor or hospital that's doing the same thing they were 20 years ago? Then why are we doing that in the classroom?
2: Exactly. Yes. That's not like a little Seinfeld.
1: I'm going to send it to you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What are we
2: talking about?
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) I totally agree. I think that that's why we are doing this podcast. Yeah. You know, foundationally, that's one of the reasons we were like, we need to... Bring light to this research, but we also need to connect it to what's currently happening in this curriculum, so yeah. that we can create that that build that buy in for teachers and leaders and coaches and and everybody, so that they can see like things have changed and why are we doing things the old way? Like and and I mean the world has changed. So if we're really preparing students for college and career and the the world beyond you know, K12 education, then we have to change our mindsets and shift there. And, you know, in a previous podcast, Melissa and I did talk about that. We were like, we, you know, in just this 15 years that we've been teaching or, you know, in education, things have shifted so much. So we can't imagine what it would be for a teacher who is 30 years into their career has been doing things, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, this way for so long. And then, you know, this curriculum comes in and it's like, oh my gosh, this is just completely different and it challenges my belief system. It challenges what I've been doing for 30 yep. years, three decades. Um, and now I'm being asked to do something completely different. That, that is a huge undertaking and that really requires that learner mindset, that productive struggle we're trying to instill in our students. But, you know, it, it's really understanding the why, yep. uh, like, you, like you both um, highlighted. So thank you for that.
1: Yep. Yep, yep. Thank you. Yeah, so much more to talk about there, but (laughs) I I, uh, (laughs) know we'll. we'll, I'll go on rants for days. (laughs) We good. (laughs) Um, So to switch gears just a little bit, um, I just wanted to think a little bit about. I know that. We talked about all of the great things, not all, but a few of the great things that happened in your classrooms this year. Um, but Katie mentioned right at the beginning, too, that like this was the first year and it was a challenging year. So I was wondering if we could um, dig in a little bit there. I know you guys have been totally honest, so i yeah. <laughs> um, being able to be honest, too, about what was challenging about this first year and maybe something you're looking forward to doing differently or um, just in it, having a second shot at it in the, your second year.
2: Yeah,
3: I think one of the biggest challenges for me and everyone will say this was, first of all, the pacing, Um, just looking at it and thinking how am i going to get through all of this in one lesson every day. Um, And in that, as you know, Baltimore City kind of adopted a little bit late and our ability to get it off the ground and running um, was a little slower um, than I think what a lot of people wanted. So I don't think I necessarily... Had internalized, um, Witten mm-hmm. Wisdom talks a lot about the difference between planning and internalizing. And I think in the beginning, I was really just planning day to day. So I was looking at a lesson, I was like kind of writing down the key things I had to get to, and I was teaching it. And I wasn't looking forward to like the end of that focusing question arc or the end of module task. And I wasn't really seeing how everything connected. I was doing everything day by day. Um, I didn't understand how everything was going to fit together in the end. I didn't get it, and I didn't understand how everything was related. In fact, I didn't fully understand this actually until my third module. So fourth grade is A Great Heart, then it's Extreme Settings, and then it's Revolutionary War. And in the third quarter, one of my students said to me, Miss Scotty, you understand that the Revolutionary War module is just like a combination of great heart and extreme settings because the, <laughs> the, the people had to survive in an extreme setting. And the Americans really had to have a great heart to overcome all these challenges. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, so that's why they picked those in this order, right? <laughs> so. I I just think now that I see these connections and what it all builds to and how all the knowledge and all the content is connected together, that's really going to help in my planning. Mm -hmm. So now instead of like doing that day-to-day planning, I really am going to be able to be more intentional about what I'm doing every day for my students because now I'm not at the like micro level. I'm more at the like overall looking at the whole year and able to purposely plan And I also just think that um, having a year under, what one thing I will say about my leader that I really appreciate, and I hope that more leaders in Baltimore do this, is that he said at the end of the year there is no way that I should change a person a teacher's grade level after only one Mm -hmm. year one of Witten Wisdom, and I think that was really important that he acknowledged that because he saw the level of preparation and planning that had to go in each lesson. So just having knowing that I'm doing the same modules next year and I'm going to be able to like amp it up and make it even more engaging and exciting for my kids um, is, is exciting for me. I'm going in knowing what is happening and the purpose behind it all. And I think that will just enhance my instruction even more.
0: Yeah, that's a great point because there is so much to learn and it's so deep that getting to do it again will be... And experience that you'll be able to dive deeper and just really be able like you said pull out at that macro level, yeah, yeah, that's great Pierre, how about you
2: yeah, um I mean really, I just kind of equate like the first year with um you know wit and wisdom to you know my uh first year teaching <laughs> that, um, <laughs> you know my my first year you know there were there there were some you know bright spots uh but there were also some dimmer spots, if you will. Um, and there was just so much to learn that I remember going in and I thought, you know, I just want to focus on like three things, right? Like I got to make sure that classroom management is a thing. Otherwise if there's no management, then there's no learning. So I wanted to also then make sure with wit and wisdom, like you really need to understand, uh, what's going on in a particular module. Cause if you don't understand what they're supposed to get out of a module or a lesson, then there's really, honestly, won't be any learning. And in a way, you'll still be teaching in isolation because as Katie said, you're planning and you haven't internalized the what, why, how so that you are able to make connections or students like Katie's can make that connection on their own. So a a big challenge for me was really understanding and internalizing, right? And I think that what I'm excited about, much like my second year of teaching was, I, I, I felt sort of like a, a new person. It was almost like a, you know, like a new Terminator, so to speak, right? Like I came in and I was like, oh my gosh, what a good feeling. Um, I'm faster, better, stronger, um, or whatever those words were. Right. And <laughs> yeah, I don't know, just your second year teaching. Uh, I'm unsure if you guys recall or it had the same feeling, but I just felt so much smarter. You had one year under your belt. There were some things that you just knew. Oh, okay. I can cut this. Uh, spit out the bone on that. Like, this is awesome. I just felt invincible that second year. Now I still struggled, but I just (laughs) felt better than my first year. Uh, All that to say that I'm excited to take all of my learning this year, my, my annotations, my highs, my lows, you know, student feedback that I have, like my notes and reflections of lesson plans and PowerPoints and be like, okay, this is how we're really going to sort of like ramp it up um, and just make it better, you know. And and, and I think that that's the big thing, right? Because the research also says that when you make wholesale changes to a curriculum, it ultimately ends up taking three to five years for the dust to settle and the results mm-hmm. to really be seen, right? That yeah. the first year, you know, yeah. scores might be stagnant or even regress or you know, dip. All that, and then you slowly start to see an uptick. the The, the issue or the caveat that I make is that it can't be teacher leaders coaches teachers the district it, it, it can't be pockets of people so the importance is understanding that we have to all get to a point where as i've said before this is it like it, it's we we have no other choice but to succeed so i want to acknowledge that all teachers want their kids to do well like i really believe All teachers in Baltimore City want their kids to do well. So if we take that as a truth, then that means that we have to do the work to get to that truth. And wit and wisdom is our truth for the foreseeable future, which means we need to internalize and we need to do the work to understand what the curriculum is asking of us and what it's demanding of students. And we can just get that so we can get to this truth that I just mentioned we're honestly going to be in a really good spot as a district, but it can't be pockets of schools or teachers or teacher leaders. And it's, it's gotta be everybody.
1: Yeah. Yes. Agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think
0: that's
3: part of that was really powerful. Yeah. I think that's part of what we're doing, you know, with this podcast and sharing as much as we can on Twitter and meeting up with as many people as possible is the more we share that and the more we share these success stories. And really, I think at the beginning of when I started doing this fellowship, I said. Step one is mindset, and if teachers don't have the mindset, if the students don't have the mindset, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's really important. Yeah, and I'll add leaders to that as well. Yeah, yes,
0: yeah, definitely for sure. Um, so I I do want to ask uh, Pierre, do you mind sharing because you had the honor of um, doing like a little co presentation with David Lieben? Mm-hmm. And at our most recent Teacher Institute, and I feel like that relates to what we're talking about. Would you mind just giving a quick recap about what you spoke about um, on stage with David? And we will tag him in this podcast so that we can (laughs) hopefully um, get it shared on his page. David, if you're listening, please share this. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, so David talked quite a bit, and I'm really happy that he did, just about the other different uh, curricula that are out there, sort of like the, the the past and present of curricula, right? What are the demands? What does the research say? How schools have been implementing it in terms of success stories? And what I appreciate is, you know, he was talking about, look, he's been around for a while. He's helped, you know, create... Uh, curricula, he's been around, you know, for uh, the the Common Core implementation and sort of some of the the standards and that that development and vertical uh, alignment or progression. So through all of this expertise, it's understanding that you know wit and wisdom is the best program that's out there in terms of vertical alignment, integration of skills, uh, deepening of content and concepts. In addition to being, you know, text-based and also common core standards aligned. So when districts are looking at, well, but it doesn't check this box, it does. You know, it does. And I appreciate that they've recognized that ECE, right, our folks in early childhood education need a little extra help. So they've come out with geodes for K to two so that there Mm -hmm. are decodable readers that go along with the content of what they're reading, but also are able to build in the vocabulary. So if leaders are able to structure instructional time, you can still do you know, tenants, if you will, of, of, of guided reading. So that's a little bit of a digression. But I appreciate that David talked a lot about sort of the history of curriculum and education and the importance of wit and Wisdom not failing in Baltimore, because there are kind of, honestly, other districts that are just waiting, honestly, to see if a pretty black district can succeed with it, if a district with, with some students who are below or far below grade level can do well. And that's why I think that it's important for us, A, to give ourselves some grace and to understand that this is a long runway and that we're not exactly expecting, you know, the plane to take off and be at cruising altitude after a year, that we do need a long runway to get to our destination. Um, Not a bad metaphor. I'll take it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then um, as far as like things that I talked about, it's what I said at the top of the podcast, like I was just very real about who I thought and Wisdom was for. Like, I thought it belonged in sort of Howard or Montgomery County and not necessarily in Baltimore City. But I think that what was important for me to get across to teachers was this. You're allowed to be in your feelings, and you're allowed to have negative thoughts, but not at the expense of student success. Because, again, I think that you really want your kids to do well. That's probably why you're this passionate and maybe even angry. But I want you to check those feelings and be mentally and physically present today, as I was saying in the keynote, to understand that wit and wisdom is our present and it is our future. So we need to commit to committing and also make sure that we can do well ourselves with immersing ourselves and understanding, asking questions. And step one was showing up at the uh, Institute to get all of this great knowledge so that you feel better prepared come August, right? You've got the opportunity do it. Someone's helping you with the exposure. Expose yourself and and, and and learn more about the curriculum. And finally, just leaving off on a high note that I wanted, to, you know, that, that I talked about was all teachers are also capable of greatness, right? It just takes a little bit of a push. And then all of a sudden, our potential turns into something magically beautiful and kinetic, and we are doing the work. Um, but that initial push is the buy-in. It's the mindset. It's the being present for the PD.
1: Thank you for sharing that. That's so amazing. I, I just some things that I've heard along this year, especially right at the beginning of adopting this curriculum, I heard people say things like, well, this belongs in a suburban school district. Uh And I heard people say Uh there's no research behind this, right, because it's new. So no one's proven that it's done yet. And personally, I don't know if you guys agree, but I'm just really proud of our district that we didn't step back and say it's not for our kids and yeah. say, well, we'll wait and let someone else be the people that try it first. Yep. And we, we stepped up and said, no, there this is based on research. There are really great things in here that our kids deserve and we need to just jump in. Yep. And so I'm really thankful that that was the message that you guys sent that day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I
0: agree. Thank you for that. That I mean, I just commend both of you so much for... Jumping in with two feet, having that learner mindset, and res- you know, just respecting and believing in your kids enough that this is what they deserve, and this is what all kids deserve, and you're going to give it to them. So you are both amazing, and we're so
1: lucky to have talked with you today. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah. yeah. You're welcome, and thank you.
1: Can we ask you one last question before you guys go? Of course. (laughs) Um, Just wondering if you could give our teachers, either first year teachers that are starting Witten Wisdom or maybe jumping into their second year, if you could give just one piece of advice,
3: what would that be? Um, My piece of advice would be to fall in love with reading with your students. So I think we get caught up in the day-to-day the planning, what I have to do next, um, how am I going to get this all in one day, all the questions, all the insecurities, but just let the process happen and watch your kids fall in love with the text and do that with them and be excited with them and be in the moment. I have a really hard time being in the moment. I'm a, I'm a planner, as you all know, and I really just want everything to, I'm always thinking about the next step. in this year... I had to really learn to, I just watched my kids fall in love with reading and I tried to be more present with them. And when they were in love with the text, that's when, as I spoke before, that's when everything kind of clicked for me. And then everything in wit and Wisdom is so based on the text that if you allow your students to be that engaged in the text and be that excited, all the pieces will fall into place from there. So that would be my advice, read the text, read read it, get excited about the text and then watch them fall in love and fall in love with them and be as passionate as they are. And that passion will be contagious for the students, for other teachers at your school and for other people in the district
2: as well.
1: That's great advice, Katie. Kier, how about you? Um,
2: Yeah, so I'll I'll preface just by saying that, you know, I believe that as professionals, right, that there are professional expectations for our job, right, that we need to do our lesson plans, sort of be on top of, you know, our daily responsibilities as a teacher. So, so, So my advice has nothing to do with, you know, getting into the weeds of wit and wisdom, because to me, that's the expectation. It's part of the job. So I will just succinctly say my advice is this believe that your kids can, your kids will ultimately show you what they can do. If you believe that they can, they will do. And ultimately, they will surprise you, amaze you, and humble you because you decided to make a conscious choice to believe that they can because they really truly can, right? The wit and wisdom motto Uh, or Great Minds motto, right, is uh, that every child is capable of greatness. If you can buy into that, uh, which is kind of, I'm sure why a lot of us do the work or what we hope that our kids can do, you're going to be just fine with the program itself. Like, if you're not afraid to sort of take on the work that's the expectation, that's well within your job responsibilities, just believe that your kids can, they'll show you what they can do.
1: I love that. you guys. have giving me goosebumps
0: like five times today. <laughs> I think it's it's yes, and all yes, I'm amazing. Um, but that speaks to that that belief that you know the teachers are holding high expectations, and I like to think of it in a a different way, in like a self performing way of like that confirmation bias. So if you are believing that your kids can do that, then everything that they're doing is adding to that bucket of like you're adding a chip in the bucket like. Yes, they can do this, yes, yep. they can do this. Rather than looking for what they can't do and focusing on that, you're really you're doing exactly what we're doing here today, talking to you is we're bringing to the surface the successes and building on those so it's it's, it's just this cycle of of highlighting the success and the cycle of that confirmation bias that they can do. so that is incredible. Um, I also wanted to ask you both if you could just quickly share where we can find you because I know people are going to be listening to this podcast and they're going to be like we need to follow them on Twitter. We need to <laughs> find them on social media. So, could you share um where we can find you after this podcast so we can all
3: stalk you after this? Well, currently you can find me you, I don't want you to find me, okay? So, <laughs> I'm at the no, I'm just kidding. Um, so do you want uh, our Twitter? Is that um, Yes. So, did, my did tw- you say
0: Twitter handle? Well, I'm not sure how to say that. Anyway. Yes. My <laughs>
3: Twitter handle is K Story, <laughs> like a book that was my maiden name. So, K Story, S T O R Y, Scotty, S B
2: O T T I.
3: Awesome. Thank you. And we will link that also in our bio. Uh,
0: Kier, where can we find you?
2: Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kier B, K Y A I R, and then the letter B sort of all together, Kier B on Twitter. And then on Instagram, I do post some photos uh, from school. More recently, uh, my dog or some events that I do with students. <laughs> and uh, the uh, Instagram uh, handle or name is mrk_bcpss. underscore Thank
1: you. Awesome. Yeah, it was such a pleasure to talk to you guys today. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us.
2: Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you both. All right.
0: Have an amazing day. And we will... Talk to you soon. Don't think that you're off the hook. You're, we're going we're gonna to have you back again.
2: Awesome. I look forward to it. Thank you.
1: Bye. Thank you, guys. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye.